God is our fortress. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the hearts of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad a city of God, the holy habituation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Well, good morning. I want to thank Curtis and Mike and Sean and Larry and all those who have led this morning. Um, it is a true pleasure to be back with you. I want to thank you for so many who have encouraged Carrie and I and our kids, um, not only about the, this church plant, but have asked how our family is doing. Uh, I come with exciting news about where the church is at. Curtis has shared uh, just a few weeks ago that we have been uh, dialoguing with MOT Charter High School, the school that is right next to the land that we have been given. Um, and they have uh, returned to us a, a rental number that is incredibly agreeable. And so we have accepted that number to move forward. We've submitted, yes, excellent, thank you. Praise God. As we've even, upon walking in their parking lot and meeting them at the front door, they said, how do we make this work? We wanna be good neighbors, we wanna reach out to the community and this seems like an excellent way we can do that. So we're not trying to make a buck, we're not trying to, uh, you know, have this turn out well for us. We want to be a good neighbor. And so we sent them a date that we would like to start meeting uh, and paying that fee that we're very happy about uh, to move forward. Um, and so uh, we're going to meet this week. Wayne Marsh and I are going to meet with uh, the head of school uh, and to begin uh, dialing in what that date will look like and, and some of those other details that may come into play and hopefully be able to sign a contract and move forward. Um, we meet tonight as a church body, as our, our young, growing church body uh, down in Middletown, we're going to meet to discuss what this means, what this looks like, uh, and how we're pretty much getting in the starting blocks uh, now to be able to meet regularly on a Sunday morning. So uh, I want to thank you for praying. Uh, thank you for uh, reaching out and, and certainly uh, supporting us through this process. Uh, an update on the Morris family. Um, we have been uh, getting the kids enrolled in school. And so they're all in a new school, even Maggie, our, our five-year-old, starts kindergarten. And so we've got five kids in four different schools, and so we're very excited about those details. Um, but this week is a big, like, meet the teacher and get to know the school and get the tour and all of that. And that's been uh, something we've very much been looking forward to. Um, Carrie and I have had the opportunity to look at a few houses, even to, to bid on one, um, but we're still in that process of looking for a permanent place to live. Uh, and so we've been uh, certainly praying along those lines. Um, and obviously now with the church still getting started, but not yet visualized and, and, and tangible, um, if I can ask you to pray just for peace for our family, 
we are completely confident that this is exactly what God has called us to at this time, at this, uh, uh, with where we're at in life, that there's not a question of is this the right thing to do. The, the question is there's been so many uncertainty of where are we going to live and what does school look like and what does church even look like. And so these, these uh, places of, of stability within our, our children, within our own household to go, uh, we are loved by so many people, but to get some of these established would be very, very uh, helpful. And so if you can join us as, as we pray for peace for us, um, but this, this theme of peace that has been uh, throughout our prayers for our family have been things that we realize we're not the only ones. Um, as, we, as we meet with those who have said they want to join us and even get to know them initially, kind of, hey, I'm the good-looking bald guy at breakfast, uh, when we even meet outside of an email and hear their story and hear what's going on, there's a whole lot of peace that is being needed um, around us and in those that are joining our church. Even hearing Sean's testimony, Larry's testimony here, there's a whole lot of peace that is needed within our own church community. And so as I've been encouraged by Psalm 46, that it, it felt like the elephant in the room if I don't address it, if we don't talk about it, that one, this is our testimony of where we're at, but certainly... Uh, I believe many of us are, are, are living out that testimony that Sean was talking about of feeling like ducks on water. If we can present publicly that we're calm and in good shape, but under the water we're freaking out. And I think in so many areas that's what's going on. And so I want us to address uh, what peace may look like. So I, I want us to walk through a few things. I know uh, you've just finished a study in Galatians. And in Galatians 5, you, you get the fruit of the Spirit, and peace is clearly one of the fruit of the Spirit. And so as I've been praying for peace, as I've been trying to understand what peace is and how to get more of it, the reality of the fruit of the Spirit began to, to take on a whole new uh, view for me that, that I'm so used to uh, seeing it and growing up in the church of seeing that the fruit of the Spirit, or it's the grape that I colored in and the apple that I colored in and the banana that I colored in, and it's all the different fruit, and these are nice attributes we're supposed to have. These are things that are helpful in our walk uh, with God as we, as we grow closer to Christ but I feel like there's so much more, there's such an intensity with the fruit of the Spirit because I believe each one of these fruits is actually a longing of the human soul. We just sang about it. I don't know how we can sing it as well with my soul without realizing this is true for every single human alive, that they want peace. They want ultimate peace. And as we look through the fruit of the Spirit, we're going, we, we live in a world that that, that is certainly longing, every human among us is going, I want unconditional love. I, I, I want joy and, and satisfaction in life. I want peace. I want justice and goodness. And in each one of these is something that our enemy is going, I want to take that and I want to twist it. I want to take that and go, you want to search for unconditional peace? Define it however you want. And no one can tell you that it's different. No, there is a true unconditional love that we can know. And so with each one of these fruit of the Spirit, I want us to see that they are longings of the human condition. But they're longings of the human condition that are each perfectly exemplified in the life of Jesus. There's no greater example of unconditional love than Jesus on the cross paying for something He didn't owe. There's nothing that can give us greater peace than Jesus going, God, in the midst of, of chaos and in the midst of the garden, crying tears of blood, going, this is the last thing that I want, but I, I, I want to know you. I want your will to be done. And so in the midst of chaos, it's your peace 
that I'm pursuing? Can we have a better example of gentleness or patience or self-control than Jesus himself? And so if we have these longings of our soul and we have the greatest example that we can ever find of each one of these attributes, then as we enter a world that's facing so many of the same troubles that we are, that we can go, I have the joy, I have the privilege, I have the responsibility to be living out what following the example of the true example is. And when it comes to peace, if you're anything like me, I like peace. I, like, I, I can define what peace looks like in my life. And as long as my kids are in this behavior pattern, as long as uh, schools are going well, as long as my job is secure, as long as my bank account has X amount in it, as long as XYZ is there and, and it's exactly how I would like it, then boy, I can worship God freely and openly without a burden, without a care. And all of a sudden, as life hits my control, the things that come out of me aren't the fruit of the Spirit. That as I get lashed out and angered at, my reaction as a human is to go, I can get angry too. I can get bitter too. I can shame you too. When the whole point of the fruit of the Spirit is to go, no matter what comes, I need to follow my example. So no matter what hits me, what comes out is love and joy and peace. And I struggled with that. Maybe we struggled with that in this last year and a half of life. Thank you. I'm going to switch to this one. I believe Satan's tactics in trying to sway us and trying to readjust definitions is he realizes his theology. He knows theology incredibly well. And he will say, as, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as one who has been forgiven of your sins, that Satan goes, there's nothing I can do to your eternity, but there's a whole lot I can do to your effectiveness in sharing the gospel. There's a whole lot I can do in your effectiveness as living like an example of Jesus. And so he comes to get us. He comes to get the believers. He doesn't have to come after non-believers because he already has them. He's coming after us. And he's going, my goal is not that you don't worship God and worship Satan. His goal is that you don't worship God and worship anything else. It can be a very good thing. But if he can get, get our control and get us fixated on one thing that's going, man, as long as this is right, I can worship God. But, but if you mess with this, then I have issues with God. And if he can get us to worship anything else, he's winning in this battle of our effectiveness. And it's hit me personally in my peace. So what I want to do as we look at Psalm 46, I want us to see how the psalmist is explaining how, what peace is, explaining how we can live in a world uh, that is so broken with the peace of the Lord. So I want to start by making sure we have a clear definition of what peace is. I believe peace is defined biblically this way, as a state of tranquility or quiet, fueled by one's knowledge of and trust in God. A state of tranquility or quiet, fueled by one's knowledge and trust in God. My definition of peace outside of the Bible was just whatever I can get to get that tranquility and peace. Right? Whatever I can control, however I can get peace that, that I'm good with, that it's fueled by my control. Biblically is saying, no, 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 it needs to be fueled by our knowledge and our trust 
in God, if I walk away from Scripture, if I have a bad week devotional-wise, or I'm not talking to God, I'm not reading his word, I'm cutting off the fuel source to what can be my peace. So in verse 1 of, of Psalm 46, we see this. We see this description, this, this word picture of this sojourner seeking refuge from the challenges of life. And it says in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. In verses 7 and 11, we read, the Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. In verse 8, we're encouraged to come and see, come and recount the works of the Lord. And in verse 10, we're encouraged to be still and know that I am God. Our reaction when something bumps into our own control, our own comfort, our own bubble of peace is that we got to get into action. we got to take control back as soon as we can. And the encouragement here in Psalm 46, verse 10, is simply to be still. Be still in spirit. Do we trust that God is who he says he is? And so what knowledge of God can possibly produce peace? There are over 350 references to peace in Scripture, and we don't have enough time, and I may lose you trying to recount all of them. But here are a few that I believe will be very helpful to us. In Job 42, we're reminded of God's sovereignty, meaning that there is nothing that surprises God. There is nothing that catches him off guard. And Job, at the end of his whole ordeal, in his conversation with God, in Job 42, 2, he says, I know that you can do all things and that no plan or purpose of yours can be thwarted. In Matthew 10, Jesus talks about the sparrows of the field and, and knowing the hairs on our head that if God knows these specific details, that he's keenly aware of the details in our lives. In Ephesians 2, Paul is talking to a group of Gentiles, a group of non-Jewish people who, who are still learning about God and going, actually, the same God that loves us came through Jesus to be able to give us peace, true peace, and that's available to you. And he explains it this way in Ephesians 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. And he came and he preached peace to you who are afar off and a peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. John, John 16, verse 33. Jesus telling his disciples, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I'm so glad that he's explaining that, that the peace that I give you doesn't remove it all. He says, in the midst of it, in the midst of the tribulation, just as we've sung over and over in the songs we've sung this morning, the troubles are going to come. They're going to be there. But, but how are we living out the peace of God next to somebody else who's living the same challenge, next to somebody else who's going through the same thing? I love how Revelation 21 paints that picture that we just sung about in that last verse of it as well. Of going, this is the ultimate view of what true peace is going to be. That as we pursue it in our own life, as we go, God, we, this is what we look forward to. I want you to hear what Revelation 21 says and how it describes this peace. Revelation 21, verse 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. 
Imagine this world that he is explaining here. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things, the things that have come because of sin, have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Isaiah 26 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. So if we long for that state of tranquility, if we long for that peace, and we recognize that that ultimate peace is found in our knowledge and trust in Jesus Christ, our knowledge and trust of who he is and how well he cares for us and looks after us, can I give us four ways this morning of how we can live in peace in a broken world? Psalm 46 describes those those brokenness pieces. In verse 2, we find out, Uh, That It's saying, God is a refuge and strength. He's a help in time of trouble. What does that trouble look like? Verse 2, we're not going to fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountain be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Verse 6, the nations rage and the kingdoms totter. But he utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The first way that I believe we can live at peace in a troubled world, is that we embrace the power of prayer. Embrace the power of prayer. I didn't just want to put pray, because I feel like sometimes prayer can often be looked at as the little kid who shows up to the basketball court with all the big boys. Right? And we're going, okay, we're going to let the guy do his thing. It's the right thing. It's cute. Everybody, yes, okay. Oh, now that he's done, now we get to work. And we can kind of go in at church. Yeah, you pray. That's just sort of what you do. But then, then you actually, like, move on. And I, I want to make sure that we're going, no, this isn't just some sort of uh, platitude. This isn't just some sort of step that we take because we know it's the right thing to do, but to recognize and embrace the power of prayer. See, what happens to me before when I, was, when I would pray, when something would hit my world of control, something was not right and I didn't like it, my immediate prayer request becomes what? God, take that thing away. And, and part of it is, is to go, God, I don't, I don't want it. I don't enjoy it. We don't like pain. That's part of our natural inclination. But the thing that hurt the most was, God, this happened, and I'm not in control anymore. So I don't want this here. And God may be going, that's exactly why I allowed it to happen. That, yes, I, I don't want to dismiss that asking for prayer. Paul asked, God, please remove the thorn from my flesh. Jesus even asked in the garden, Let not this cup, get, get this cup away from me. I don't want to die. I don't have to go through all that I've seen. But their prayers didn't stop there. It didn't just stop at, please, I want the control back. Let me have it. Let me get back to my, my safety and what brought me peace before. It's going, God, I want your will to be done. God, what, I, I want to know your peace in the midst of what I'm going through. Verse 1 of Psalm 46 said, He is a very present help in time of trouble. He's there. He wants to hear from us. And not just so that we can try and wrangle the control back to go, God, my ultimate peace is found in you and your control. I need to be still and know that you're God, not me. So we need to embrace the power of prayer. Another way that we can live in peace in a broken world is what we've already done this morning, and that's sing. 
And you go, well, you're a worship leader. You like to do this kind of thing. That's what you do. Like some of us aren't there. But there's a power in singing that connects both sides of your brain. There's a power in singing that goes, there's a message being sent out to the world that's twisting truth, that's twisting what, what, is, what is truly going on, that the, that the truth of Jesus is who it is, and, and that the longings of our soul can be met this way, or this way, or this way, but we can gather together as the people of God, proclaiming the truth of his word, and singing it out to fight as one of our weapons in battling this fight for our soul. That we can go, God, I need to lift you up. That even when it doesn't make sense, that this peace beyond understanding is what I need. Because right now I can't sing, it is well with my soul. And I need a whole lot of people around me to be able to lift that up. That we do that together. It's not just an individual thing. It's something that we can go as the body of Christ. We need to be coming together for this. We need to be lifting up. We think of... Paul in prison in Acts 16, and Paul and Silas are there, and control is completely gone for them. And what's their response? There's a whole lot of people here going, this is the worst thing ever, and we're singing in prison. Paul and Silas are singing in prison. I don't want us to take for granted this ability that we have to sing publicly. We hear of how evangelism is exploding in countries like Iran and Afghanistan and China. And it's people gathering together in basements at two in the morning so they can sing together. We have the privilege to be able to lift that up together, to fight together through music. A third way that we can live at peace in a broken world is through confession and courage. Through confession and courage. In verse 9 of Psalm 46, it talks about God making wars cease by breaking the bow, by burning the chariots. And Micah chapter 4 is another, uh, another passage that describes this perfect peace that we have. And it says, God will make end to the wars and he will turn every sword into a plowshare, every spear into a garden tool, that this is going to be an end to war. And I look at that and I look even within our own church of going, if I know I have an issue with somebody else, that, that we are not at peace, that there needs to be a, a God-desiring peacefulness between us, and we need to make this right. That the ripple effect of those that are being affected by our lack of peace between each other needs to be dealt with. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers. And that's not a passive thing. That's not going, I want to make peace, so I'm going to back up and just sort of hopefully this thing washes away. It's going, no, I need to step in. If you've seen the movie The Blind Side, right, the football movie where they adopt uh, the young man to come play football, and there's a scene in that movie in a football practice and where she's kind of fed up with what's going on in the team, and she goes and grabs one player by the helmet and the face mask, grabs another player by the face mask and goes, you need to do this, you need to do this, because the fact that you're not at peace is wrecking the whole team. And it was uncomfortable, and they felt awkward. They were getting scolded by their mom. But it was going, that's making peace. That's going in the gentleness that we want to exemplify, in the love that we want to exemplify. We need to make peace. We might not even be a party to it, but we can see it. We can see that person A and person B, that there's an issue here that needs to get resolved. There's a, a, a pull away from the focus of the mission of ministry, the mission of sharing the gospel with people, and we're too busy infighting, that, that as person C, we need to intervene and go, we need to deal with this. We need to make peace. We need to have confession of going, you know what, I am not a person of peace. I've held this grudge for so long. 
I need to admit it, that I'm warring. I'm part of the warring that God's trying to stop. Colossians 3.15 says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. I think the last way, and this isn't an exhaustive list, but the last way that comes to mind this morning of how we can live at peace in a broken world is that we need to evaluate our fear. The description of Revelation 21, there's no more pain, no more crying, no more of these challenges in us. How much of our own life, how much of our own peace have we constructed around our own fear? We tried to imagine what living in Revelation 21 is going to be like. How much of our decision-making process is guided by fear? Fear that something will be taken the wrong way. Fear of looking foolish. Fear of being unforgiven. Fear of creating drama. Fear of my past sins haunting me. Fear of rejection or failure. Fear of losing my control. Fear of what our government may mandate next. Fear of what my personal rights may be infringed upon. Fear for the safety or health of loved ones. Those are natural fears. Those are natural things that stop us. But if they get in the way of us being able to say, God, it is well with my soul. And we're not going to be at peace. And I don't assume that that just one passage, that just one talk on peace is going to make it all go away. That this is the magic pill. That this is is the the one fix-all. Boy, write the book and make the bestseller list. This is not what I'm hoping to do and not what I expect. But I do want to communicate that peace, the peace of God can work in two amazing ways. And the first way is immediate. That when that, that sin that I have not forgotten, that that sin that I have held on to, that that, that lack of, of, of asking and confessing, saying, God, I need relief from this. God, I've been carrying this burden. I've been carrying this grudge. God, I need to be forgiven. That this is hindering my peace, that I can ask God immediately, God, please forgive me. God, please take away the sin. Please, please let me live for you. That that peace can come instantly. Find in Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But peace isn't just immediate. Peace is something that we continually pursue on a lifelong pursuit, it's something that we go, as we're trying to be transformed by the truth of Scripture, as, as Romans 12 talks about, being transformed day by day. This is this ongoing pursuit to go, God, I'm still not, I'm still not letting go. I want to, but these habits have been formed, and I still got to keep pulling it back in, and I keep pulling it back in, and I want to let go. And it's going to take a while to change this habit. It's going to take a while, but God, I want to I aggressively pursue peace. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 said, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to encourage us today, if you get the chance, there's so much going on in our world, there's so much going on in our own lives that, that to just rush ahead and go, I just need to keep kind of putting my head down and plow through and hope some of this goes away. Can we take the time today to do what 
Psalm 46.10 encourages us to do. To be still. To know that he's God. That God, this is nothing out of your control. That you can, you can change all of it. You want to teach us through it. God, help us to have your peace. If you're at that spot this morning where you're going, I, I need to let that let that go. I, I need to pray that. I, I want that immediate peace. I've never dealt with that. We want to give you the opportunity to do that, to say at the end of this service, could somebody pray with me? Could somebody help me go? I'm not at peace. I need to be at peace. I want to pray for peace, and I want to pursue it. If that's you, I encourage you to come talk to us after the service, because I know I'm not the only one like a duck on water. We're all fighting. We're fighting to hang on. We're tired. We're, we're exhausted from this whole pursuit. We don't have to keep fighting in our own control anymore. Can I pray this prayer over us as a church as we close this morning? God, I, I pray the word peace as we see it, as we sing it, as we come across it in your word. I pray that it would never just become routine or road, I pray that it's something that sticks out. I pray that it's something that reminds us that it can be well with our soul because of you. And so, God, I ask your blessing on everyone in here. I ask your blessing on their heart. I ask your blessing on their life. I ask your blessing on, on their clarity to see where they're trying to pull peace and to find it on their own. So, God, my prayer for them is that you be with them, that you bless them and keep them, that you make your face to shine upon them, that you turn your face towards them and you give them peace. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.